Welcome to the inaugural season of the Bruin Shaver Sports Podcast, where for 30 minutes once a week, we talk about all the things that make us love sports, the games, the rivalries, and of course, the personalities. We are stoked that you're listening. And now, here's Ben and Darren. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Bruin Shaver Sports Podcast. It's a brand new year. And we are glad that you are still with us and hope that you are having a happy, happy new year. Darren, how's your new year going so far? You know, the new year is always great, no matter what. It's a fresh start. It's a new beginning. And it's one of the, it's, it's, it's amazing that our, you you know, you start your year with basically wall-to-wall football. I, I mean, how does it get much better than that? Truthfully, you get up in the morning, watch a Rose Bowl parade, and then take off with football and don't stop until, what, midnight? So it's a, it's a pretty good way to start the year. It's a great way to start the year. and Absolutely. Wow, we had some great games, New Year's Day, some wonderful, wonderful matchups. And we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the bowl games. Particularly, we're going to be talking about the college uh playoffs what we saw in semifinal games and our predictions and how we see the championship game going but before we do that we want to like many other people have been doing uh, spend just a, a moment or two reflecting on the legacy of John Madden you know Darren John Madden's one of those guys where I never met him and did you ever meet him no absolutely not but he had such a large impact on the game of football um i mean how many of us playing video games uh look forward to the new madden dropping and going out and getting the new madden and absolutely and just just the way he did things in the booth listening to his calls and um you know i think the last super bowl he he called was the one where the steelers played the um the cardinals and james yeah. harrison had that long run back and yeah you know just just some great moments uh, what, what did you think darren when you heard about his passing uh how how do you put into measure the impact he had? Well, you know, two things that immediately jumped uh, into my mind or jumped out in my mind was, you, you know, one of the things that always stood out to me about him that that I loved was was having that coach in the booth, uh, you know, with his with the, with his, his telestrator and drawing out the plays and showing you what the linebacker did and what one receiver did to make it. And as someone, you know, I started playing football when I was seven years old and, and really genuinely the day I stopped playing, I started coaching and, and coached for, for several years. So, so I've always loved the game, had a passion for the game and, and wanted to be a student of the game. And so even when I was younger, that was one of those things that really stood out to me was that, that level of, of, teaching and just his joy even when he was diagramming and showing you what happened in play his joy for the game his just love for the game could not help but come through uh and so that that always stood out to me and and like you said even though i never met him i can honestly say i feel like he had a direct impact on, on my passion for the game because that that passion kind of rubbed off you could just feel his excitement in the booth uh, you know, whether it was just calling the game or explaining a play, even in the interviews, you know, when he talked about just football and what it meant to him and the excitement of riding, riding, riding around on his bus from week to week and going to different games, you, you just couldn't help but enjoy hearing him talk and especially hearing him talk about the game of football. As a result of John Madden, did you ever try turducken? <laughs> I, I did not, but truthfully, you and when you and I spoke talked earlier and was kind of 
talking about some of our thoughts and some of the things we want to talk about, the first thing I have written on my paper is John Madden, and the very next word under it is turducken. I, ca- I can't <laughs> believe that more people haven't talked about it. That, it, it. How do you not talk about turducken if you talk about John Madden? I, I Yeah, how do you? I, I don't know, but boy, what a great legacy. And Darren, I think you hit it on the head when you said it was like having a coach in the booth in, yes. in the, in the broadcast booth. And that makes a big difference. Cause we all know when we watch games, you, you listen to guys and you really, you really, if you love football, you, you know, who really knows what they're talking about. And uh, John Madden definitely knew football. So, and you know, uh, the was, other cool thing is, is, is he transcend, transcended sports? You know, he was truly a cultural icon. Mm. Uh, you know, I, Frank Caliendo, the comedian, this might he he and his people probably wouldn't agree with this, but I I don't know that he has the career he has if it were not for his John Madden impersonation, <laughs> uh, you know, because that's what really put him into that headlines and got him into sports, you know, segments and ESPN and Fox and all those places. I, that was really his segue into going from that guy that guy that's that's headlining comedy clubs to that guy that's headlining uh, auditoriums and, and, you know, has a Vegas residency. I, I, I don't think he happens, if not at all, at least not as quickly, if it weren't for his John Madden impersonation. It, it's hard to argue with your logic, Darren. It's, <laughs> it's, it's hard to argue that. And, and I think it would be fitting. I don't know who makes these decisions, but when the new Madden football game comes out, the latest edition that, wouldn't it be something if he was on the cover? Oh, I think you're exactly right. That's a great idea. I think he has to be. How do you not do that? Truthfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get back to college football. We had a great slate of games uh, Saturday, but Friday we had the semifinal games and Alabama handled Cincinnati 27 to six. Georgia took care of Miss, uh, Mich- Michigan in a pretty, resounding effort uh, 24 or 34 to 11 Darren uh, was this what you expected Uh, what were you thinking watching well I think honestly uh, you know just kind of going in in the order that we watched in the Alabama Cincinnati game I I think that went almost exactly like we talked about Um, Alabama you know it didn't end up being you know 52-3 49-10 or anything like that but even at 27-6, from beginning to end, Alabama had control uh, of the game. Uh, it never was in doubt in any way. I mean, they had 301 yards rushing uh, as a team, uh, and, and Robinson had 204 of those. Man, you talk about a performance. That mm-hmm. was uh, unreal. Uh, and and even with 301 yards rushing, they still had 181 yards passing. You know, they put up 482 yards against Cincinnati, and, and this is you know this is a Cincinnati team that came into the game uh, allowing significantly less than that, just just over 300 yards a game. Uh, and so they, one of the things that we talked about is size up front, and I think you could see from beginning to end, that Alabama's size up front made all the difference in that game. And, and, and they knew that. I mean, they came, came in, and you could see the game plan was to run the ball and dominate the line of scrimmage. And that's exactly what they did. They had, I think they ended up with six sacks against the, uh, the Cincinnati quarterback, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so 
offensively and defensively on that line of scrimmage, their size up front, their big guys dominated the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a game plan that Bear Bryant would have loved. Oh, very much so. <laughs> very much yeah. so. I was watching the, the, you know, after the, I think the second series on the first drive that Alabama had, thinking they don't, they're not going to have to pass the ball a single time. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. And it really did look like that. Because the thing about it was, when you watch it, not only did, were the running backs obviously running hard, hitting the holes hard, but the holes, I mean, you could see when they would show, uh, you, you know, from behind the ball or, or from behind the defense when they would show a replay, you could see it, it wasn't a matter of a guy just being quick and hitting a small crease uh, with power. There were holes there to exploit. Uh, so it, it, it really was a, a dominant performance by Alabama. And once again, we're talking about Nick Saban. Exactly. And y'all, even if you're not an Alabama fan, I'm not. And Darren's not. Um, appreciate the greatness of this coach, Coach Saban, while he is with us, because um, this is rare. Yeah, and speaking of Saban, I have a, a Saban stat for you. Uh, the other three coaches that uh, that were a part of that original four that were you know were part of the games um, on Friday, those three coaches combined have a, a record in bowl games of um, – let's see. Sorry, I'm trying to find my numbers here. They have a record in bowl games of six – I believe it's six and seven. Or no, here we go. Uh, four and five. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, six and seven. So they've played in those, – those four – three – the other three coaches outside of Nick Saban have played – have coached in – 13 bowl games and won six of them. Hmm. Nick Saban has coached in 27 bowl games and won 17 of them. He has won more bowl games than the other three coaches in the college football playoff have coached in collectively. Hmm. (laughs) What an incredible stat. Wow. That's some great research right there. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. That really adds perspective to, uh, to coach Saban's legacy. On the other in the other game, uh, Georgia Michigan, which I think people were willing to say, "Hey, this might be a good game." I, I think mm-hmm. I even saw a few national personalities pick Michigan to win, but there was no doubt about this from the get go. Georgia no. came to play. Michigan was never in this game. No, and and, and you know, truthfully, as weird as this sounds, with a score of thirty-four to eleven. I, I honestly think you could describe this game the same way you do with the the, the Alabama Cincinnati game. I, I don't think either games, even though they were obviously you know large victories, I don't think either game was truly as close as the score indicated. Mm-hmm. I mean, Georgia put up 521 yards, only allowed 328. Uh, again, had multiple sacks, created three turnovers. Uh, you know, two interceptions and a fumble, had the ball for more than 35 minutes. Uh, they, I, 
talked about this game, and we talked about it being a close game. It really gave Michigan a lot of credit. Uh, and I, I said that I didn't feel like Georgia would cover. I thought Michigan was going to play them closer. It would be a little bit more of a defensive battle uh, that they wouldn't cover that seven and a half. But, it, you know, at the end of the first quarter, it's 14 to nothing. And you could tell it was not a matter uh, – it wasn't a matter of, how many points will Michigan allow Georgia to score? It's how many points is Georgia going to score? Do they want to score? Uh, because they just didn't – Michigan was never in the game. And, and like you said, you could see it from the outset. Uh, you know, even in passing, Georgia was 10.7 yards per pass. Michigan could just do nothing with them. And you got to give Bennett credit. After the SEC championship, I didn't see a 313-yard game coming. But he played a solid – wasn't just a game manager game. He played a solid game uh, and, uh, with his performance against Michigan. He certainly did. And, and I forgot who called the game, but one of the observations early on was that Michigan seemed shocked by the speed mm-hmm. of Georgia. And, and this, is a, this is a narrative that we've heard before, uh, the speed of SEC teams. And, and yes. You know, Ohio State has adapted to that. They've drafted a lot more speed. Uh, and I don't think it, speed was the main issue for Cincinnati as much as it was size. Size, absolutely. And, uh, but with Michigan, Michigan looked slow. Yeah. And, you know, that really is kind of surprising because Michigan played so well against Ohio State. And Ohio State is, you know, in the Big Ten or not, Ohio State is a fast team. And yeah. like you said, I think they know they knew from the get-go that uh, – uh, as Ryan Day has, has continued to grow that program, they were going to have to draft that speed to be able to hang with the SEC and true for the Pac-10. Because when you look at teams like Oregon, that's one of the things that stands out is, is team speed. Uh, and, and they've d- done well adapting to that. So seeing the way Michigan played them, I didn't expect Georgia's speed, even though obviously it's there, to, to be the factor that it was. Yeah, and, and I think with the Ohio State game, I think Michigan played out of their minds. That was Absolutely. their that that basically was their national championship game. They got the monkey off their back. They yes. were at home. It was a huge game, great atmosphere. I, I didn't see that kind of energy from Michigan going no. against Georgia that I saw in the Ohio State game. I, I agree completely, which is which is really strange to say, but you know when you talk about. When you're dealing with college age athletes and and their age, the their age bracket, you know there's so much emotion, uh, the, and then there's such a gap from winning that that championship game to getting to this game, that that emotion can can the letdown from that emotion can just create bad practice ha- habits, and and it, it, one absolute truth in all of sports, no matter the sport, uh, is you will practice you will play how you practice. Uh, and yeah. so if those poor practice habits come in, it's a dead practice. It's a dead practice environment. That's what the game is going to look like. Yeah, exactly. So now we're looking at the national championship game. It's a rematch uh, between Alabama and Georgia. I know some people don't like that, but those are the two best teams, the teams that have emerged. Yes. How, how do you see this? We've talked about this on some previous episodes, Darren, but now mm-hmm. that we're actually here, how do you see this? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, the thing about it is, if you were talking about anybody, but and this is a little bit of what we talked in, on the previous episode, if you were talking about anybody but Nick Saban in Alabama, the obvious answer is you you cannot beat a team like Georgia with that defense 
and with the way Bennett played Saturday night or Friday night, you cannot beat that team twice in the same year. It's just not going to happen. But we're talking about Nick Saban in Alabama. You know, when you look at Alabama over their last five games leading up to, to this game coming up on the on the 10th, three of their five opponents uh, have been at top 25 ranked. Uh, one of those opponents that was unranked was Auburn, which is the Iron Bowl, which is always a big game every single year. Uh, and they are 5-0 and uh, in those five games, one of which includes, you know, Georgia, who is ranked number one at the time, and averaging well over 30 points a game. Uh, and that includes the previous game against Georgia and allowing less than 25 points a game. So they're even though we've talked about their offensive line struggles, and, and I do think you have to give credit looking at the Georgia game uh, and to some extent looking at the Cincinnati game, I think they've found a way to correct some of those issues. Um, but I, I think you can't overstate because size was such a, a large advantage in the Cincinnati game. You can't overstate that. Uh, but I think even going back to the Georgia game, you can see it, it, obviously they corrected some of their offensive line struggles that they'd had throughout the year. They've corrected some of the offensive struggles they had during the first part of the year. Uh, and, and, you know, they come into this game averaging just under 500 yards a game. Now with all games in total and allowing less than 300. Uh, and you've still got Georgia that's allowing less than 250 yards a game, less than uh, uh, nine and a half points a game. But, a large percentage of those uh, or a large piece of those nine and a half points allowed per game came from one game. And that was the game against Alabama. Uh, it's interesting to me that the, the trend seems to be uh, when you look at all of the different odds makers and spreads and all that stuff, Georgia is still, it, it comes into this game as a three point favorite, which is, which is a little surprising to me. I kind of thought it would be a pick Um, but I think the one, maybe the big deciding factor still has to be how do you beat um, how do you beat Georgia's defense twice? Can you put that many points up? Um, and and I, this may be unconventional after the way Alabama's played their last two games, but I still I'm a little afraid to say Georgia because I think uh, for whatever reason Nick Saban has some serious space in, in, inside Kirby Smart's head that he camps out in uh, on a full-time basis. But I, I still think this will be Georgia's opportunity to correct the SEC championship. Stetson Bennett has to step up and have a game like he had Friday night. But I think if those things happen, I think Georgia can win this game. And, and it may be a three-point you know, it may be that close. It'd be super exciting. Again, neither one of us having a dog in the hunt as far as a fan, if it turns out to be, I think that's a real possibility, but I'm also terrified for just from a exciting game perspective that what none of us see coming in, in Alabama wins 41, 10, you know, it's, nothing shocks you with Nick Saban, but, but I think Georgia wins this game. What are your thoughts? Yeah. And, 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 I hate to ever pick against Nick Saban. Exactly. Uh, even as an LSU fan, I always root for the Tigers. But oh man, you just you see him on the sideline, and you it just it just <laughs> it deflates you. Yes. Uh, I think my heart wants to go with Georgia here. Um, I love watching this defense. I will be Darren. I will be absolutely shocked if Georgia's defense plays as poorly 
this time around as they did the first game. Agree completely. Um, and so I'm looking forward to a great game. Uh, I'll give Georgia a slight edge. I think it's going to be very, very close, mm-hmm. which will be nice. Will be nice because yeah. we we've had some blowouts and that and uh, especially when you don't have a dog in the hunt, it's not as stressful when the game's close. It's just pure excitement, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it sounds like we're both going to be pulling for Georgia, and yep. uh, we'll we'll come back next week and talk and see if uh, if like you said something happened that we didn't even see coming. So yep, it's going to be fun. Now speaking of the championship game, our resident expert tailgater, who's given us some great recipes, JT, is actually putting a championship game menu together. Darren, tell us about that. Yeah, he's he's kept me. He's tried to keep me out of the loop. I've, I've begged for clues and and hints, and because he's he's been excited putting everything together. We've been talking about it for a few weeks, and uh, I do know that he's going to put a complete menu together. Uh, that's going to have a, you know like a, a main dish, uh, tailgate type dish, uh, entree, a couple of sides, maybe even an appetizer um, and, and a dessert. And he did. He and I actually talked earlier today and he did tell me that he's going to put together that they're all going to follow a theme, which I'm pretty excited about. I, I, he wouldn't give me any clues as to what that was. But so we're going to have a themed complete championship game tailgating menu. So we will have that and and you can look for that on the blog and obviously we'll put it out there in in. Twitter on Twitter with links to the blog and everything. We will put that out uh, Friday. And then, you know, obviously as we get closer, maybe Sunday, Monday, retweet it again. So people have those links and, and, and can try those things. Uh, but I'm, I'm super excited that he's, he's, he's taking another step for us and not just giving us a dish, but giving us a themed menu with recipes. So that's, that's going to be pretty fun. I can't wait, Darren. And, and like, you don't know, I don't know. Nope. We're all in suspense. So exactly. It, it's going to be great. I, I, I can pretty much guarantee you whatever JT comes up with based upon the past uh, recipes he shared with us, this is going to be wonderful. It's going to be fun. Definitely. So speaking of bowl games, there's actually uh, one bowl game left before the national championship game. And that is tonight, uh, the Texas bowl. Uh, LSU is playing Kansas state and that, brings up the whole bowl pick'em. Darren, how are things looking on the bowl pick'em front in our particular group? Well, I am very excited about the bowl, bowl pick'em. I'm not going to lie to you. I feel like I have had an opportunity to redeem myself a little bit because uh, I spent our regular season pick'em. Uh, the longer the season went, uh, the, the farther toward the bottom of the drain that my picks ended up being. Uh, but, but I've been able to uh, – uh, come back a little bit and actually have been able to be in, in first place this time with, with 25 games picked correctly. Uh, but we had, we had several people uh, that were a, a part of it. And, and Nelak, who was part of uh, uh, our regular season bowl pick she's there in second place with 22 wins. Uh, Zipster 38 is in third place with 21 wins predicted. And, and then, Ben, you're in fourth with 19 wins uh, predicted and actually tied for f- fourth with another picker who just – his username is ESPN Fan uh, that ha- both had 19 wins. So super excited to have the amount of people that we had. Uh, and uh, I tell you what, I, I may have come in first place on this one, but like we talked about during the regular season, any uh, lacks picks, she, she, she jumps up there quick and, and picks them right doesn't she 
you know, uh, she's a football fan. She loves football. And so she, and I also need to say this since you brought this up, Darren, because I know you're not going to do this because you're a Vanderbilt fan. But for all the Tennessee fans out there, you guys won that game. You won that game. My goodness. I could not believe uh, the end of when I saw the running back reach over the goal line. But anyway, I feel your pain. And, um, uh, and let, this <laughs> will, you can't say anything snarky, Darren. This will n- never happen again. <laughs> Ever. Just for the record. I was sitting there watching that game and actually said out loud, I cannot believe I'm going to say these words. Tennessee just got robbed. I could not, I could not, you can be, and boy, I'm, you know, I refer to them as the ugly orange and, and several other names that we'll just stick with ugly orange, but uh, I'm, there's nothing about me that's a Tennessee fan, but my watching those players and watching how that game went down and how obvious that was, my heart broke for the players on that team. Because they've had an incredible year beyond what anybody could have imagined, including Josh Heupel. If he's, you know, get him in a room by himself and, and a little bit of truth serum, he, he didn't see seven wins coming this year. Yeah. Uh, and then to play this the way the way they did against a team like Purdue, man, that was tough to watch. Uh, again, you know, you'll never you'll never hear it again. But but that was tough to watch. I hated it for the players on that team. Yeah, it, it was it was so tough, and and the effort on that last play, and and to. And, and to see, you know, see him stretch across and just just enough. And I, I it was – I'm still completely flummoxed, baffled by the call on the field. And, and to me, it was just so obvious. Yeah, and, and for that to be a call of, of, of forward progress is stop. there was nothing about that that I understood. Absolutely nothing. That, that was the easy way out. Yes, I agree. That's completely. that's the officials' easy way out. Yep. there. Oh, forward progress. You know, that the NCA needs to look at that. Agree. Um, so, uh, another bowl game I wanted to mention is I want to just for a second, Darren, talk about Matt Corral. Oh yeah, this yep. kid. Just boy, he. He had every opportunity to opt out, and I'm not yep. making a judgment on anybody that opts out. It's it's no. their, your personal decision, but I really loved how he expressed his decision, and he he was going to be there because he realized that he wouldn't be where he is now, positioned to go in the first round of the NFL draft if it wasn't for the program, the coaches, the teammates that he has. And he mm-hmm. went out there, unfortunately, got hurt. Sounds like a I think a high ankle sprain. So thankfully, yes. nothing too serious. Um, but you know, congratulations to Baylor, Dave Aranda, great game plan defensively. Mm-hmm. They played wonderful. Um, but really I, I appreciate, uh, kids like Matt Corral, just laying it all out there. And, and you know, I'll be honest prior to his injury, I, I, I probably would have had a different take uh, on, cause I'm, I'm not a fan of opt-outs, uh, cause I'm a, I'm a big fan in, in, in Matt Corral's thought process of without this team, no matter how good I may be at my individual position without this team, I would not be where I am. Because uh, because it, it happens all the time when great guys that happen to be great at their position end up on bad teams and and they don't get the recognition they 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 need to to advance or deserve even so I, I think there has to be a little bit of give and take in that 
But I got to tell you, just being 100% honest, when I saw that guy roll up on his leg, and my first thing that first thing that went through my head was the way he rolled up and the way his knee gave. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's an ACL, MCL, one of those total knee kind of deals, it just made me cringe. And, and it really honestly backed me off a little bit of my view because that, you know, when you start talking about second round, third round, fourth round versus first round, which is stuff that's going to happen when someone has a total knee reconstruction or or whatever could have happened in that moment, or if it's one of those deals where, you know, he breaks his ankle and he, you know, pins and all this, that can have a dramatic effect. And it really, really backed me off a little bit from, from where I had stood previously, because it just, like I said, it just absolutely gave me chills just waiting to, when he came back out on crutches, it, it, it made the entire night better as far as I was concerned from a football perspective because uh, he was at least able to do that. Uh, but yeah, that, that was tough to you appreciate and, and grateful for players like him that, that fight all the way through. But it also gave me a little bit of a different perspective on the ones that, that don't and, and decide this is something I've got to do for me, for my family, whatever the thought process is, I'm going to opt out of this game. It, it at least gave me a little bit of a different perspective. Yeah, and, and thankfully it was not a serious injury, yes. so his draft stock should not be affected. And yes. um, again, it's a personal decision. We're not in these players' shoes who have to right. make these decisions. Uh, I liked his decision, and uh, but Agreed. certainly you can see the other side of things. Yes. So speaking of quarterbacks, some big, big news came out yesterday, and that is Caleb Williams, who had a really great freshman year, supplanted an early Heisman uh, candidate in Spencer Rattler. Uh, Caleb Williams announces that he is trans or not. He's entering the transfer portal. He says OU Oklahoma is still very definitely in the equation, but he wants to explore his options out there which led to the, um, the administration. Was it the president and the head coach or the athletic director? I think it was president put out, AD. Put out an official statement, which is really unheard of. I, I can't yes. think of another time where that's happened. No. So, Darren, you're hearing all this breaking news. Um, what's going on? And is Caleb Williams, do you think he's coming back to OU or is he going somewhere else? Well, here's a really interesting thing. Um, that just digging around and I tried to find and look at, uh, you know, of course your, your Yahoo sports, your ESPN, your Fox, and, and then look at several different sports blogs and stuff. And, um, the, the three or four names, um, that came up immediately is of course, we just talked about, he, he even said himself, Oklahoma is still a possibility. Uh, which you don't know if that's, they really are a possibility or if that's just a respect uh, thing uh, from his part, but but you would assume that they at least have a shot. And then, of course, the immediate um, next speculation is, oh, well, he's, he's headed to USC. He's going to where Lincoln Riley is. That's who, uh, you know, the, the offense will, will look very, very similar, if not be identical. That's who recruited him. That's the structure he worked within to to do all the amazing things that he did this year as a freshman. Uh, that's, uh, you know, and that stuff happens, uh, you know, so often, 
when a guy is recruited, it has everything to do with the coach who recruited him and, and not so much to do with the school, unless there's been a long-term connection with the school. You know, you grew up a fan, your family grew up, you know, as fans, whatever, those things are a little bit different. But outside of that, usually the commitment is, has more to do with the coach, whether it be at a position coach or a head coach than it does to do with the school. Uh, you know, when Derek Mason left Vanderbilt a few years ago, um, there was, uh, I believe his name was Donovan Kaufman, uh, who actually was from the New Orleans area uh, that had played his freshman year under Derek Mason. Uh, and, uh, he announced almost immediately that he was entering the transfer portal. And the day after Derek Mason was named the defense coordinator at Auburn, what was the next thing that happened? Donovan Kaufman announces that he's, uh, going to be playing at Auburn, uh, because it had everything to do with his relationship with Derek Mason and Mason and that connection. Uh, so I think that's a very real possibility, but two other names that have been very interesting, uh, that I have heard thrown out at several different places is Maryland, uh, because he was strongly considering them. Uh, they were one of his top four schools, but also, uh, LSU was one of his top four schools when he was being recruited out of high school. Uh, and there were several different places that pointed to, uh, and I know we're going to talk about this more in just a little bit, but there were several different places that pointed to the fact that it's very interesting that he entered, entered the portal uh, right around the same time that their, their old coordinator is uh, announced. So, those are some. It's going to be, it's going to be a very interesting to watch with him, and, and especially all the notoriety he's, he's had this year. But those are the schools that are being thrown out there right now. Yeah, and I, I, yeah. Now that you brought that up, I remember LSU was in the equation. Yep. Did that have anything to do with Joe Brady leaving? Did he, you know? Oh, I think that definitely. I, th I think uh, from what I've read, and of course I wasn't following it as closely then as I as I am now. But from the few things I've read today, uh, most people believe that LSU had the upper hand until all the staff changes took place. Yeah. Uh, and so then, you know, w what looked the most like the LSU offense from that championship year, uh, and and so that's when attention kind of turned to Lincoln Riley and his offense. Uh, which, you know, if you look at all of that, that really even more kind of gives credence to the possibility that, that he ends up at USC with Lincoln Riley. But, mm -hmm. yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to watch. Yes. Uh, now, now, speaking of uh, LSU, just throw this in real quick. And, and LSU, it looks like Brian Kelly is rounding out his staff. He's got a defensive coordinator, Matt House. Uh, who's familiar with the SEC. He's coaching the linebackers up with the Kansas City Chiefs right now. And he's also got him an offensive coordinator in Mike Denbrock, who had the same position at Cincinnati. They have a history together. So sounds like Brian Kelly is putting together a very veteran group. And, yes. um, it, it, you know, on paper, things look great. Will it translate? We'll have to wait and see you next fall. And, and you know, I also uh... – We'll give credit to Brian Kelly in that he's also trying to to tie in some of those Louisiana ties and 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 find some of the positive things even from you know previous from Ed Orgeron, uh, you know uh, a couple of names that have stood out is, is Frank Wilson, who was at McNeese State but previously had been at LSU uh, for several years. Uh, that that he uh, he brought him on as an associate head coach, I believe, is the title, and then. Uh, uh, Brad Davis, who is the interim head coach, who will be coaching the uh, Texas Bowl uh, tonight, uh, is also going to be the lone holdover from the previous staff, uh, and he is going to be the online coach. 
which I thought was a, a good move uh, on um, uh, Kelly's uh, part uh, because he's also known as, as uh, having some recruiting ties as well. So that, that'll help part of that being able to recruit in this area. Yeah, and the Frank Wilson heart, you, you, we cannot emphasize that enough. Look, if you're not an LSU fan, if you're not in Louisiana, I'm trying to convey here that that may be the biggest hire that Brian Kelly made. You may be thinking, yes. who is Frank Wilson? Well, the guy recruits Louisiana. The yep. guy is a familiar face. He's going to help keep in-state candidates here. And uh, I think that was a terrific hire by Brian Kelly. And, um, and, and you know, he also has ties in Texas. Before going to Mini mm-hmm. State, he was the UTSA head coach. And he didn't have mm-hmm. a very – he didn't have a, a great run there. Uh, he was only there three years but there has to be some development of some Texas ties there as, as well. Uh, so yeah. that, so that's another big piece as well. Definitely. Definitely. It's going to be fun to watch. So yep. as, as we wrap up this episode, um, uh, Darren, remind everybody about the ratings uh, that they can, they can give to the podcast and, and why that matters. Well, uh, on Apple pod, any other podcast, you, you've heard this so many times, you, you, can, you can say it with me. It's important on Apple Podcasts to sup- subscribe, rate, review. Uh, and obviously, you can hit the, 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 the subscribe button, and that means you're alerted. Uh, and, and you can also set your settings to every time, you know, Tuesdays at 6 a.m. When, when a new episode drops, uh, it'll automatically be downloaded to your device. Uh, you'll also be notified uh, and then rating is giving us stars, a one to five. Uh, and then you can also just do a quick little review of uh, just a few words of, of what you think. Uh, and that's something we're all used to. Uh, also, on Google Podcasts, you can do the same thing. You can subscribe. Uh, they don't have a rating system yet. But in the last week and a half to two weeks, Spotify has added a rating system as well. Uh, and that is just strictly a one to five stars. You don't have to review or anything. You can just click. Uh, ben and I recommend the five star, correct, Ben? That's what we recommend Absolutely. you click. <laughs> uh, click that five star on that. And, and what that does is uh, across the board, it doesn't matter if you're talking about Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever it is, when you when people interact in that way to rate your show, to review your show on Apple Podcasts or to rate it on Spotify, that moves you up the search um the search scale when someone's looking for a sports podcast or a college football podcast, or as we move into college basketball, whatever it is, uh, if when people enter those search criteria, your rankings, your reviews, your ratings, that all pushes you up to where you get more attention and are more easily noticed. Uh, and of course that would be a great thing to, to just add people. Our excitement would be adding people to the conversation. Uh, and so we would ask that, that whether it be Spotify, Apple podcast or Google podcast, that you, that you hit that subscribe button or on Spotify, that follow button, and then you give us a rate. And if uh, we'd love for you to also give us a review on Apple podcast as well. Helps out a lot. So please uh, remember to do that. Uh, spread the word about the podcast. Yes. I uh, hope that you benefit and you enjoy. We enjoy doing this and mm-hmm. looking forward to uh, continuing throughout this year as we transition from football into basketball. And we'll still be having, we'll still have a foot in college football, uh, but um, looking forward to uh, the year ahead. Yes. So thanks again for, for listening. And remember, new episodes drop every Tuesday at 6 a.m. And next week, we'll be back to talk about the national championship game. Until then, take care. Have a great week.